Grace and mercy and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. At a business meeting a number of years ago, I heard a man say, you're going to have to decide whether you want to win friends or influence people because no matter what the book says, you can't do both. Now, that book, of course, was Dale Carnegie's best-selling book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And a lot of people would agree with that consultant. They believe that at some time in your life, you are going to need to make a choice between having people like you or having people respect you. You can't have both. I don't know how you feel about that. I tend to disagree a little bit. I'm not so sure that that's the case, that you have to choose between people liking you and people respecting you. But if it were, if it were true, which would you choose? Which would you rather have? I mean, it's kind of a tough call. Would you rather have people like you or would you rather have people respect you? Like I said, it's a tough call. After all, the Bible places a great, a great value on unity. Particularly in the church, does he say, there has to be unity. Not unity in terms of style, but rather in terms of unity of teaching. Getting along with one another would be another way of talking about unity. For example, in your message outline, you see Romans chapter 12, 18, that says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on who, as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Or you can go to the book of Hebrews and read, make every effort to do what? To live at peace with all men. Mark chapter 9, have salt in your lives and be at peace with each other. But see, at the same time, Jesus also places a high premium for standing up for what you believe in. For example, again, in the book of Colossians, what does it say to us? It says, do not let anybody judge you. How? Don't let anybody judge you by what you eat or by what you drink or by what you wear or don't wear or or how you worship or how you don't worship. He just said, don't let anybody do that. Or in Galatians chapter 1, what does Paul say? Paul says, am I trying to win the approval of men or God? Am I trying to please men? Because if I were trying to please men, guess what? I would not be pleasing who? I would not be pleasing God. So the question I want to ask you this morning, friends, is this. What should we try to do as Christians? Should we try to win friends or should we try to be respected by people? What's better, friendship or respect? Now, if you read your Bible, you're going to find that Jesus had enemies. Jesus had enemies who resented him, they hated him, they tried to destroy him. Yet when you go through and you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what do you find? You find that even those people who hated Jesus still held him in respect. Think back to this story, for example. Remember, in the middle of the night, dozens of soldiers carrying torches and weapons stormed a very secluded garden called Gethsemane to arrest an unarmed man who was kneeling in prayer. 
it's very obvious as you read that story that they held Jesus in high regard. They respected him. When you read the scene of Jesus standing before Pilate before death, even Pilate is unable to hide his admiration for this carpenter king. See, people respected Jesus. We could also tell you, this is no nothing new for you, that people also love Jesus very much. Of all the leaders that this world has ever had, no one was more loved than Jesus. When he was on earth, he attracted huge crowds. The Bible said that children loved him. They, they ran up to him, even though the disciples said, oh, we don't have time for children in the church. It's kind of what they said. That's why I think it's so, it's so neat to see the little kids come down and sing. Let the little children come to me, Jesus said, for such is the kingdom of God. Sinners felt comfortable hanging out with Jesus. I just wrote an article that's going to come out in a magazine. It said, I'm not so much interested in a seeker-sensitive church as I would be in a sinner-sensitive church. Some of you that listen to country music. I don't listen to a lot of it. I like some, some I don't. Some of you know a Toby Keith song called I Love This Bar. Yeah, I know who knows that song. And in that, what does he say? He talks about all kinds of people who come and feel very welcome in that bar. Kind of like that old television show of Cheers. It's a place where you can come and everybody knows your name. Are we sinner-sensitive? Leaders looked up to Jesus. They liked to hang around with him. They saw in Jesus something that they liked. See, if anyone ever achieved that delicate balance, I think, between being liked and being respected, it was, no doubt, Jesus. He always knew where to draw that little dividing line. He knew how to win friends. He knew how to influence people to a degree that Dale Carnegie never understood. In our text, though, this morning, the one I read to you just a little bit ago from the book of Philippians, Paul tells us how Jesus managed to do that. And as Christians, if we're really interested in being Christ followers, we need to understand, too, how we can follow the example that Jesus set for us. This little section is about attitude, friends. Some of us, including myself, sometimes need an attitude adjustment. We need an attitude adjustment because all too often our attitude is formed by what we see and hear and live out in the world rather than by what we see and hear from the mouth of Jesus. In verse 5, I'm going to take you back to that text. In verse 5, what does Paul say about Jesus? It says, your attitude. He's talking to you. He's talking to me. He's talking to this church. He's talking to the world. He said, your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus. I mean, think about that for a moment, friends. When you look at Jesus' attitude towards other people, other people, it's easy to see why Jesus earned their respect. When you look at Jesus' attitude towards other people, it's easy to see why people loved him. How can we learn to do the same thing? I want to take you through the text this morning and suggest just three things to you. 
Here's number one. Having the attitude of Christ means, first of all, that we learn to say, the world does not revolve around me. You get that? The world does not revolve around you. Let's take it a step further. Your family does not revolve around you. Your church does not revolve around you. In Reader's Digest, I don't know, two, three, four months ago, I read an interesting story about a flight that was canceled due to some bad weather. And there was one agent up at the ticket counter who was trying to help everybody rebook their trip. Well, one passenger got very irate and he pushed his way to the front of the line and he slammed his ticket down on the counter and he said, I have to be on this flight and I have to be in first class. Well, the ticket agent looked at him and very politely said, uh, I'm sorry, sir, uh, but I will help you as soon as I can, but I have to take care of all of these other people first. The man banged his hand on that counter and he said, do you have any idea who I am? Without hesitating, the agent picked up the microphone and said to hundreds of people in the terminal, may I have your attention, please? We have a passenger here at the gate who does not know who he is. If anyone can help him find his true identity, please come forward now. The man backed away, and the people applauded. When I read that story, I remember a man coming into my office at a church one time and asking me, do you know who I am? I wasn't smart enough to say, no, but I'll go find somebody who does. Because he went on to say, if things don't change, I'm gone. I'm not going to give my money anymore. See, the church revolved around him and what he wanted. Well, regardless of who that man was at that ticket counter, I don't care whether he was rich or poor or rich or famous, I mean, a little bit of both, certainly he did not have the respect of the people in the airport that day. See, it's kind of hard to respect anyone who considers themselves the most important person in the room and who puts their needs ahead of everybody else's needs. I mean, compare this with Jesus' attitude. Look at this. In verses 5 and 6, your attitude, now he's talking to us, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, here it comes, who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Now, that little phrase in the Greek, to grasp something that Paul was talking about, means a right or a privilege that people hold on to selfishly. In other words, Jesus chose not to be selfish and hang on to his position in heaven. I mean, Jesus re refused to act as if the world revolved around him. Now, it's kind of interesting to me, that that should have been Jesus' attitude. Why? Because the world really does revolve around him. He really is the center of the universe. I mean, look, for example, on your message outline, Colossians chapter 1. 
He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. 1 Corinthians 8, there is one Lord Jesus Christ through whom all things came and through whom we live. See, Jesus is the crown of creation. This is his world. He created it. If anybody deserves to be the center of attention, it's Jesus. But that's not the way he acted when he humbled himself to become a human being. Do you realize how low God has to stoop in order to become one of us. And what did he do? He came saying, other people come first. Is that you and me? I can only speak for myself. Because sometimes I know I have a tendency to demand my rights or to think only of what makes me happy. But I don't think that's a whole lot different than all of you. There are times when you demand your rights and you think everybody should kowtow to you and follow what it is that you need. But you know, Jesus is just the exact opposite of that. There's a song that maybe some of you heard when you were young. I kind of remember it from growing up, and maybe this was a song they only taught in Seward, Nebraska. I don't know, but I remember uh, singing it. It's amazing what you remember when you had a class called Memory in school. But it kind of went this way, Lord, let me live from day to day in such a self-forgetful way that even when I kneel to pray, I might remember that it's all about others. That's the first thing Jesus says. Do you need an attitude adjustment? Hey, the world does not revolve around you. Here's the second thing Jesus teaches us. He says, we need to learn to say this, I will help wherever I'm needed. I'll help wherever I'm needed. And here, I just need to pause for just a minute and just to say thank you to, I don't even know, we didn't count them yesterday, but 30 or 40 people who were here from 8 o'clock in the morning until 7.30 in the evening. <laughs> you wouldn't believe if you want a tour of this room up here after a while and see how clean it is. And if you want to just have a tour of the little outbuilding over there and see how clean it is and how clean the kitchen is, and how all the other stuff that is done. People who said, I can serve. I want to serve the Lord, and I'll serve the church in this way. See, in our text, it goes on. It says, Jesus, who humbled himself, verse 7, it said, he made himself nothing. Do you know what that means, made himself nothing? It means he made himself like you and me. I guess that shows you our relative worth. But he made himself a human being, and he took on the very nature of a servant. He actually became the lowest class of the human race in that day. He became a servant. I mean, Jesus always referred to himself as a servant. He said, I didn't come to be served, but to be a servant for many people. He said that no servant is greater than his master. If Jesus came to be a servant, let me ask you this. If Jesus came to be a servant, and you call yourself a Christ follower... What must that make you? I think the answer is a servant. The principle of service has been taught to Boy Scouts. How many of you were Cub Scouts? How many Boy Scouts? How many of you were Girl Scouts? Okay. I was a Cub Scout and a Boy Scout. One thing I learned was do a good daily. 
Remember that? You do a good deed every day, but sometimes that backfires. I read this not long ago. A couple of Boy Scouts found a good deed that they wanted to do every day, but they were asked to stop doing it. Well, they were disappointed, but what they were doing was they happened to find this well-traveled road where they could hold up their handmade sign warning drivers of the policeman down the block with his radar gun. Well, I have a feeling that the drivers were very much appreciative, and these boys were a little bit bummed out. After all, they were doing what they could to be helpful. See, that's what a servant does. A servant says, I will do whatever I can, I will do it whenever I can, and I will help whoever I can. Now, through most of his growing up life and through his professional life, Albert Einstein, one of the, the most uh, I don't know, intelligent men of all times, had the portraits of two scientists hanging in his office. He had a portrait of Isaac Newton, and he had a portrait of James Maxwell. But towards the end of his life, he took those two pictures down and replaced them with pictures of Gandhi and Albert Schweitzer. Someone asked him why he did that, and he said, quote, it is time to replace the image of success with the image of service. Now, maybe he also remembered some words by Dr. Albert Schweitzer. Schweitzer said, I don't know what your destiny will be, but one thing I know, the only ones among you who will really be happy are those who have sought and found how to serve. See, Jesus' attitude, this attitude that we are to imitate is to be a servant. In Matthew chapter 20, whoever wants to be great among you, what? Has to be the servant. Whoever wants to be first, let him learn what it's like to be last. In Luke, he says, I am among you as one who serves. Now, there are three possible attitudes you can have when you serve. All of us practice these from one time to another. You can reach up. And sometimes when you reach up to serve, it's kind of done in a, I don't know, a way of saying, I'm doing this so, so you'll like me. Sometimes we reach down, and, and sometimes that's kind of a condescending attitude. It's as if to say, I'm doing this because I'm better than you. But there's a third way, and that's called reaching out. And that's the way Jesus lived his life. Jesus said, I'm going to do this because you're my brother, you're my sister, you're my friend. I'm doing it because I love you. What do we learn? The world does not revolve around us. We're called to be servants because Jesus was a servant. Here's the third thing. Having the attitude of Christ means that we say, if I have to suffer for what is right, I will. If I have to suffer for what is right, I will. What does our text tell us in verse 8? He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, for some reason, we don't really get too excited about death on a cross, although we know it's pretty bad. But when we see a nice gold or brass cross, or when we look at a nice wood cross, or when we see those crosses that we have hanging around our neck, most of us 
lose the correct image of what that's all about. That's why some people did not like that movie, The Passion of the Christ. They thought, how gruesome, how gory was that? But we need to understand that to be crucified was the worst possible way to die. It is excruciating. It is painful. It lasts a long time. And it was saved for the worst of the worst. And that's what Jesus did. He humbled himself even to the point of death and death on that cross for us. See, being obedient was extremely important to Jesus. He was never afraid of the consequences of doing the right thing. For example, Jesus made enemies with church people. Did you know that? The church people didn't really like Jesus sometimes. I mean, the Pharisees were upset. Why? Because sometimes he healed people on the Sabbath day. Jesus made the church people unhappy on Palm Sunday, too. Did you know that? When Jesus came riding in on that donkey and everybody was waving their palm branches and shouting their hosanna, they were singing a new song, folks. Guess what? The Pharisees stood off on the side and said, Jesus, make them be quiet. That's when Jesus said, hey, if they don't sing, the rocks will cry out. I don't know if that means he likes rock music, but it's a thought. He made enemies in the church when he said, before Abraham was, I am. What does that mean? (laughs) Well, what, what Jesus was saying was, I am the Son of God. And that made people angry as well. Ultimately, what Jesus did cost him his life, but it never, ever kept him from doing what he knew was the right thing to do. Let me give you an example of history. Some of you are old enough to perhaps remember this, but back in 1933, there was a German theologian by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Lutheran pastor. He created a lifelong enemy when, during a live radio broadcast, he denounced a rather ambitious young politician by the name of Adolf Hitler. And after Hitler came to power, Bonhoeffer was banned from ever speaking again, writing again, or lecturing again. Now, by that time, he had two books written. They were very popular around this world. He had an inspirational reputation, and he was invited to come to America. And in 1939, he was invited to come over here to live and stay and be a pastor and a teacher, a lecturer and an author. They offered him plenty of money. It was an attractive deal. He certainly would have been able to enjoy doing what he wanted to do, stuff that he could not do in Germany. But instead, what Bonhoeffer chose to do was to go back to Germany. He said that his place was with his own people during this difficult time. And so for the next four years, he spent time teaching and preaching underground and helping move Jews out of Germany to escape from the Nazis. Well, eventually, Bonhoeffer was captured And just a few weeks before the war ended, he was put to death. 
Now, on the surface, it all seems so very simple. All Bonhoeffer had to do to escape with his life would have been to stay in America, to take that cushy job, to take that money, or all he would have had to do is go back to Germany, learn to keep his opinions to himself, never ever say a bad thing about Adolf Hitler again. He could have lived a good life, but he refused to ignore the task that God had called him to do. He knew what his responsibility was. He knew what God wanted him to do, so he went back to Germany and to help those people that were being oppressed by the Third Reich. Now, Dietrich Bonhoeffer understood what it meant, friends, to have the attitude of Christ. I mean, as far as Bonhoeffer was concerned, being helpful was far more important than being comfortable. That's the attitude of Christ. And you can't help but respect it. I wonder about us. I wonder about me, actually. But I think we all, during Lent, need to step back from time to time and ask ourselves some soul-searching questions. Are we able to adopt these same attitudes? I prayed this morning that I would have and to learn how better to exemplify the attitudes of Christ. I had a little accident early this morning. Actually, it wasn't my fault. I have an atomic clock that thought today was daylight savings time. And so I set off the alarm at church this morning when I got here at 545. And I was initially really cranky because there was some security company that was going to get a piece of my mind come Monday morning. And then it suddenly dawned on me. When I looked at my watch. I thought, hold it. And it wasn't long after that when Nancy called to wonder why I didn't wake her up and suddenly realized the same thing. Well, what are you going to do with an extra hour or an hour and a half? I'll tell you what I did. I came to this church started in the balcony. I walked up that chain of pain. <laughs> and I prayed over the sound system, Matt. I prayed over the keyboard, Wayne. And I prayed over the organ, Gwen. And I prayed over the chairs of the people who sing in the choir and who play the bells. And then I came down here, and I started all the way back there where you're sitting, John. And I worked my way across and up and down the aisle, all the way up to where Amber and Courtney sit, and all the way back over here again, and all the way to the back, and ended up where the Thamers always parked themselves. And I prayed for the people who would either sit in these pews today or even who might be absent from these pews today, and prayed that we would be the kind of people that would learn how to have a good attitude adjustment. To be able to say that the world or our families or our churches do not revolve around us. To be able to say we're going to be the kind of people who will do whatever we can, wherever we can, to help whoever we can. 
to be the kind of people who, who will not reach so much up or down, but learn to reach out because that's what Jesus taught us to do, to be people who would say, yes, we'll even suffer if we have to set aside what is comfortable for us for the sake of Jesus. Friends, aren't you glad Jesus gave us such a great example? I am. And aren't you glad also that he gave us his Holy Spirit to enable us to follow that example? Let's pray. Father, we all need an attitude adjustment from time to time. There's no doubt about it. And so today we ask that you teach us through this word to make every effort to live at peace with each other. At the same time to not look for the approval of men, but instead your approval. To understand that we can set aside the position that we sometimes feel we hold within our families or churches or whatever. To have an attitude that says, Father, I will do whatever I can, wherever I can, to help whoever I can. And then to be able to say, Father, even if it makes me a little uncomfortable, for the sake of your kingdom, I will do it. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. In your order of service on...